they just flat out hustled. She's in Starbucks and she hears somebody 30 feet away say the word mortgage. She's over there, she's introducing herself and she's at, can I buy you another coffee? Can I get you a snack? Can we sit down and talk? The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Dustin Woodhouse. He's the president of Mortgage Architects, been a friend for a long time, and he joined me on I Love Mortgage Brokering Live. And so I Love Mortgage Brokering Live is where we actually go live inside of our Facebook group for Canadian mortgage brokers. I bring some questions. You'll see that I bring questions from some of the people that are on, that are listening, and it just creates for an interesting, fun dynamic. Today, the question that we tackled was, is now a good time to become a mortgage broker? You know, we're in the midst of COVID sort of shut down and opening up again a little bit. And I've seen people that are crazy busy if they've been in the industry for a long time. And then the new people are like, well, you know, what, how do I get my business going? So we dive into that question. We also kind of go on a little bit of a rabbit trail because Dustin and I do like to just talk about whatever kind of comes up, plus whatever questions that came. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Also, before you get started on that, if you're new in the mortgage business and you're not 100% certain on what you should do first, should you buy leads? Should you, you know, make 40 phone calls a week to realtors or buy an ad on a park bench? The truth is this is going to be a confusing business. And so we've created a unique program called 10 Steps to 10 Million, where we actually show you the exact steps you need to take to scale your business to 10 million plus. Recently, one of our clients did 80 million last year. And when we were trying to figure out, he was working 70 hours a week. So 80 million was good. 70 hours a week was bad. What, what we discovered was is that he'd actually skipped one of the steps. So step three, where we actually show you how to create a recipe for your business. So he went back, he did that. And with that and a bit of work and tweaking, he was able to reduce his work week by 20 hours a week, which is amazing. And the t- reason I tell you this story is because if you're new, why don't you put the steps in place now? So if you're brand new, put the foundation in at the beginning. It's sort of like you put a basement on the house after you've already built the house. It's much more difficult versus, hey, you're starting out. Why not put it in the right basement? and then build from there. So if that's what you want to do, go to a website that we got called get10million.com. That's get the number 10, so 10million.com. Check that out. And uh, thanks for checking out this episode. Hey, Dustin, welcome to the show, man. Good to see you, Scott. How are you, man? Good. So today I want to chat with you about is now a good time to become a mortgage broker? Because there's a little bit of you know craziness and uncertainty happening in the world. And so we both have some thoughts and opinions on this. So What are your thoughts on that topic? And then we'll just go where this conversation goes. Well, I mean, I'd really struggle to make a counter argument to it. Like you literally have the vast majority of brokers having their single best production year. We're going to talk about their personal lives and everything else, but like numbers, production. The majority of brokers I interact with who are go-getters and keeners and optimists, they've actually closed more business in 2020 year to date than they did in 2019. And I'm also largely talking about a group who 2019 was their best year in the past 5, 10, 15, 20 in the business. And 2020 inside eight months has matched or exceeded that volume. So the numbers don't lie. They just don't. Right. So if you guys have questions you want to ask us, write them in the chat. I'll put a little comment on this in a sec. So write any questions so we can chat with you guys. This is the whole point of doing these live. And so I'm so grateful that it worked. So like there seems to be two kind of camps right now. There's the mortgage brokers that have been in the business for a while and you know what you're doing and it is insane. The number of people that have sent a request, hey, can you help us hire somebody? Like we can't even help them all. And then you've got another segment of the market where they're underemployed. We've got mortgage brokers with more work than they can handle. And so I agree with you in terms of that regard. What about for somebody who's newer though? 
So like, let's say you come into it and what's the difference there? Well, I would challenge anyone who's been in the business first off for three to five years plus who's not busy. And I would challenge them specifically on one thing. Have you picked up the telephone and called every single person in your database? And I don't just mean past clients, past referral partners. Have you gone into every purchase contract, purchase sale contract and called the realtors on both sides of that coin that you ever worked? Have you called every realtor, appraiser, every friend, every LinkedIn connection, every Facebook connection? And when you've called them, have you asked them two questions? Number one, how are you? Scott, how you doing? Doing okay, man. Thanks for asking. Cool. Number two. We're doing a little role play here. So go ahead. Yeah. Right. And number two, like, man, I'm glad to hear you're okay. Cause you know, of course not everybody is, but I'm hanging in there myself. You know, is there anything I can do to help you in any way, shape or form? I mean, I'm not working for Uber Eats, so I can't deliver food to your door, but you know, in the realm, in the world I, in which I work, I know there's lots of confusion around payment deferrals. Should I, shouldn't I, what's going to happen to my credit and all the rest of it. Is there anything I can do to help you? Right. It's yeah. that simple. And the brokers I work with who pick up the phone, make five, 10 calls a day, ask those two questions, basically pick up a new mortgage application every single day. And they're not asking for referrals. They're not asking for business. They're asking, how are you doing? How can I help you? It's that simple. But your question was more for brand new rookies. For brand new people, I think it's a pretty interesting time as well, because if you're newer, you're probably younger than the median age of a broker, which is probably somewhere around 57 or something like most of the trades at this point. So you're newer, you're younger, you're probably more tech savvy, you're probably more comfortable with Zoom. And maybe I'm overgeneralizing or over stereotyping, but you know, it's the selfie generation coming up who have for the most part been a lot more comfortable with pictures and video and everything else. And the number one opportunity I'd say is to be reaching out to real estate offices, accountant offices, financial planner offices, community groups, seniors to talk about reverse mortgages, universities, reach out to universities, graduates are coming out of university, they're going to be entering hopefully the employment world, and they're going to be first time home buyers. And you can be interacting with all those different people through Zoom. You don't have to show up, you don't even have to wear pants anymore, right? You don't have to show up with uh, donuts or any kind of snack. You don't have to do a, a full presentation with like a PowerPoint and all the rest of it. Like now, those realtors offices that were used to having the broker show up and do the Monday morning meeting in person, there's no in-person meetings. And that broker may not have embraced Zoom the way you can. And so I think there's a lot of offices sitting there in the dark on a lot of different topics. What are these CMHC changes? Did they actually impact the market? Did they not impact the market? You know, there's one headline after another that's total nonsense. Did Russia really come up with that vaccine for COVID-19? Did you well, we're not going to talk about that one, right? <laughs> anyway, I was joking with some clients that the solution is, look, we just shoot them. It's no problem. COVID's yeah. gone. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody has COVID. Nobody yeah. has COVID here. Killed um, by bullet, not by COVID. Yeah, he died by bullet, not COVID, so we're good. <laughs> um, sorry to any of our Russian mortgage broker friends. That's my very lame attempt at a Russian accent. My son actually is quite good at, he can do accents. And so he can do Trump and Obama. And I just die. Like he's just hilarious when he gets going. Okay, so back to the phone thing. So, and somebody asked a question, Chris Kalinsky, thank you, brother, for your question. We'll come to that in a sec. But there's a guy that I work with, his name is Dustin Carlson. He's with an I. So you would love this guy, Dustin 
you would love to sell to Dustin. And so when he first started in the mortgage business, this was 20 years ago, the guy who hired him gave him a phone book and said, here's a phone book. Everybody in there needs a mortgage or has a mortgage. Start calling. He got his first mortgage at like Blackthorn or something. I can't remember the guy's name. And he now, the guy is an absolute beast at making phone calls. All he does is he calls clients, calls his past clients, calls his network. And I talked to him the other day and I said to him, I'm like, Dustin, have you ever been hung up on? He goes, oh yeah, all the time. And I'm like, what do you do? He goes, well, if they sound really upset, then I call them back tomorrow. But if they don't, I call them back later that day. He gets these online leads. And so literally people are hanging up on him. And he's like, well, that was only like a, I'm going to wait three hours and I'm going to phone them back. Because he knows they'll forget the whole thing, right? It's mind boggling. And his business is like crazy. But I was talking to Lori Snowden this morning and she said, the scary stuff always pays the most money. The, mm-hmm. the things that scare us pay the most money. Picking up the phone scares us. I have a slide that says, do the difficult. Do the difficult thing. I had a conversation with a guy one time. I was at the gym and he called me and we were chatting. And because I was in Toronto at the time. He's a Vancouver guy. So it's like 9.30 my time in Toronto and it's about 6.30 here. And we were chatting and uh, was sort of, he was just wrapping his day up. And uh, he says, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I'm about to knock out some chin-ups while we talk. And we got talking about that because I, I tweaked something in my arm and I hadn't done chin-ups for like six months. So I was just kind of getting back into it. And he said, you know, that's a really great metaphor for the calls. He's like, first, when you make that first outbound call, it's really difficult. Kind of like that first chin-up. Like you can't even psychologically, like, am I going to be able to do this? And then as you get making those calls, like to your point about the Dustin Mars, he's made so many calls. He's done so many chin-ups. It's a breeze. Like he just struts in, jumps up, grabs the bar, knocks out 10, moves on. Like it's, it's not even a warm-up. It's, it's like an afterthought. It's, it's nothing. Right. But that's from years, 20 years of doing that. But you have to start somewhere. Like you've right. got to start. But really, like I say, it's always the best time to get into the mortgage space because Canadians want to own homes, period, the end. That's not changing. And the outside world wants to live in Canada. So our immigration numbers skyrocketing. July of this year, the most purchased transactions of any month in 40 years of history. Like there's activity, there's pent up demand. And when the borders finally open back up, we're gonna have a monster wave of immigration. And I can't remember the exact stat, somebody might be able to correct me, but I believe it's two out of three new Canadians purchase a home inside their first three years here. So that's more bodies, more household formation, meaning more properties, meaning more mortgages. One of the headlines that drives me nuts, I just saw it the other day again, total mortgage debt in Canada at all-time high. I mean, yeah, no kidding. As the population grows and the housing market grows and there's more homes, there's going to be more mortgages on those homes. So yeah, there's going to be more mortgage debt, not deeper debt per capita. In fact, a headline that totally went like under the radar and didn't really get much shout out at all the much-touted household debt-to-income number. It dropped from 177 to 158. Like, that was just last week that headline came out. It's not like incomes have gone up that much. No, but people aren't spending money on frivolous nonsense to the same extent they were. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that straightened out a lot of people in pandemic mode. It's like, well, I can't hit the club and pay for bottle service, and I can't go out for dinner nonstop. Like, everything sort of tightened up and then you wound up with new habits. Now, some of us wound up with some crazy online shopping habits. Amazon Prime was at my door every single day for like the first 50 days of the pandemic. Right. Let me ask you this. Sorry, I 
just talk personal for a second. So what's one habit that you picked up COVID that actually you're going to keep? I'm curious. Um, well, there's, I mean, there's a few different things. I embraced Zoom. So I opened a Zoom account in October, November of last year, January, February, early March at every one of our in-person professional development days. I said, hey, would you guys be interested in doing this through Zoom? Where instead of getting together live, instead of like a five-hour session on Tuesday, we do an hour every morning. Monday through Friday, and we bring in a different guest, a different speaker, a different topic, and you don't have to leave your home. And there was lots of enthusiasm for it. And the only thing stopping it from happening, the only thing holding that back from happening was me. I was used to getting up in front of a live group of people. And so I felt like that's how it had to happen. And of course, now I've done basically four days a week plus of every day flipping on the Zoom, bringing in a guest, having a conversation, just like we're doing right now, just like you were kind enough to right. do with me. And that is a new habit. That is done. And even if tomorrow the magic button was pushed... If, and, the, if the Russian vaccine works. That's right. You know, you get this? They're calling it Sputnik 5. It's so awesome. I'm like, you can't make this stuff up. So that sounds like they put you in a rocket and you exit yes. the planet. Yeah. So even if it was discovered and even if it worked and even if everybody took it and even if that was the cure-all and end-all, how many of us hardcore business travelers, right? Like 66 flights last year, 199 nights away from home last year. How many of us would go back to that? I can tell you there's some who are definitely kind of pining like they miss those travel days because it's a little more intense now. It's like, go, go, go. But the majority of us are very much of the opinion that Zoom actually gets us 75, 80% of the connection. Absolutely, it doesn't replace the in-person. There's still going to be that in-person piece that needs to happen. Does it need to be 200 nights a year? Probably could squeeze it yeah, down. I mean, I, I couldn't have done that. Any, I would like throw myself off a building if I had to travel 200 days a year. Like I come home, my wife moved. I'd be like, doors locked up. My wife had moved the year before. So you see, it was all time. Did you, did, when, did you find out when you came home? You're like, where are you? Like, what the heck's going on? I'm just kidding. Hopefully, yeah. you know. So yeah, the thing that we picked up, so I'm not work-wise, but the thing that we started was walking. Mm -hmm. We walk every day. So I've looked at my phone. So I averaged for the last 90 days, 12.9 kilometers a day of walking. That's 90 days in a row. And my wife and I, we walk. And that's when we, she's got her own business, which is doing sourdough is killing it during COVID. Like, killing it. So we walk and talk about work and kids and stuff. And so that was the habit that we're like, we're going to keep this going because it's just good for mental health. So actually I've picked up the same thing. And so anyone who follows me on Instagram would know because three to five nights out of seven, I mean, I try and sort of throttle it back a little bit, but I jump on either a bike, like we have little rental bikes in the city here in Vancouver. You can pull it out of one rack, pedal across town, stick it in another rack and walk away from it. So I would ride slash pedal 10 to 15K, a lot of nights, I think my walk average is around 7.9. So you're kicking my butt there. And I'd head down to get the sunset, get a shot of the sunset, post on an Instagram and maybe grab a roll of sushi or whatever and, and just go for a walk and talk. And of course, it was usually a walk and talk by telephone, trying to have random conversations. Good luck, right? It's, it's, it's been a little challenging in that regard. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll go back to the topic. So I, I digress. This is my ADD just kicked in. I was like, oh, I got to ask this question. So this is a question Kalinsky says, do you think your advice for new brokers has changed since before COVID? So I think we kind of touched on that, but I'll let you answer, then I'll give my thoughts on it. 
Well, I mean, I think the same thing matters. Ultimately, it really does boil down to reaching out and making connections somehow, some way. And actually, a good point to clarify on that. We have a couple favorites uh, in common, right? Like J.D. Smythe with his uh, go down to the Home Depot parking lot, walk up to 10 people in a panel van and approach them. And he had a script down pat. And like we were, you know, for years, we were like, anyone could go do that. Okay, well, today, a little more difficult to do that. Right. Uh, Paul, Paul Meredith is another one of my favorites. You know, he picked up the phone and made 80, 80 outbound calls to realtors per day, every day until he got so busy, he just couldn't make those calls anymore. And the tweak I'd make on that is I would say, pick your top 200 realtors, like pick 20 offices, the top 10 from each, build your call sheet, build your call list and become a scientist about it. Like don't call people one and done. That's not good enough. Show up at an open house, figure out what their coffee drink is, bring them a bottle of water and a granola bar, a gluten-free one if you're in Vancouver, because that's the way we roll. But if you can figure out what their coffee drink is, bring them that coffee drink to their open house. But do that regularly, not one and done. And follow it up with a phone call every two weeks, like check in regularly. You have to pick a group of people that you're going to cultivate, and then you got to work on them. You can't just call a thousand random realtors one time. That right. doesn't work. You got to narrow it down. And then the ones where you can pick up a connection, you know, where somehow you wind up following them on Instagram and you see that they're out at the latest Wes Anderson movie. Well, then figure out on Amazon, is there a Wes Anderson book that I can gift to them? Look for those themes, right? Like one of my guys was super into like gigantic trees. That was his thing. All kinds of selfies in front of these huge, like the redwoods and the, you know, some of the old sequoias and everything else. And so I got him a coffee table book on gigantic trees. And just, you know, Amazon Prime is your friend. Boom, off it goes, off it goes to the office, right? So deepen those connections, but you got to keep going back and forth over the same group, I would suggest. Yeah, I agree. Consistency is key. Like it's rare that it's one and done. What we tell people, I was actually, actually Adrian brought this up, but I'd heard this before. When you're trying to think of who to call when you first start out, think of who you invite to a wedding. So the people that you invited to your wedding or the people you would invite to your wedding now might be a little different. But if you were like, hey, I'm getting married, who am I going to invite? That's who you phone call. Really simple. You should be able to come up with a list of 100, 150 people that you would invite if you were to have a wedding and that gives you something to aim at, right? I Um, think you want to cast as broad a net as possible. Like if you've got 700 LinkedIn connections and 500 Facebook friends, there's 1,200 people you're going to call. Pick up the phone and call every single one of them. And then you will know very quickly to filter that down like to your wedding guest list. And then, you know, there's always the one person that shows up at the wedding and they put their foot in their mouth or they throw up on the cake or whatever happens. Have they're never the movie Table 19? <laughs> table 19, yes, right? exactly. Yeah, like there's the people at Table 19, they're in the back corner that you're like, well, you babysat me once when I was three and you're coming to my wedding. So, yeah. you know, don't forget the Table 19 people because there's going to be some like gold there. So let me look at these other questions here. So Matt, Matthew Sky, that's a great name, by the way, Matthew Sky Imhoff. So we'll make this shareable. You can't share it right now, but we'll make it shareable for you. He wants to know if he's got some people that want to become mortgage brokers. And so this is a question. So I think we're going to disagree on this question. So this will be fun. I'm in the process of starting a mortgage team. I used to want to target people that I thought would be good in industry. So new, this is from Chris Kalinske. He's basically asking, should I recruit new people to my mortgage team or should I try to recruit established people? And what is your answer to that? (laughs) Well, first off, I'd say you really, really want to get clear on why it is you want to build a team. Like do the math on the number of hours you're going to spend slash invest because some of them are spent. 
So in Ontario, 95% of newly licensed agents today will not renew their license two years from now. So you bring 20 new people just randomly with weak filtering, admittedly, you bring 20 of those people into your office and you invest 100 hours into each one of them. So 2000 hours, basically the equivalent of an entire work year in those people. And two years from now, 19 of them have left the industry and you've only got one left. And do you even have that one because are they now having a level of success that they feel they need to go somewhere else to move on or open their own office? Right. You really need to get clear on the math in broken. Okay, I'm actually, okay, I don't disagree with you. I thought you were going to say, yeah, because I know you like, you know, you have an affinity for new people. So, because I would be Chris, buddy, like, don't do it. Don't do it at all. I would say, yeah, that, here's my, you don't have to agree with this, but if you want to make more money and be able to structure your business in a way that you can completely control, manage it, don't even bother with it. Unless you get really big, I don't think the math makes any sense. Unless you're, you can build a large brokerage, I don't know that it makes sense to go out and recruit people. Because I'll ask you this question. How many people are with the same company they started with? So even if, we go back to Dustin's point, you find that gold nugget, the guy, the girl who's amazing, and you pour all this time into them, and you see them, and you're super proud of them, and then two years later, three years later, they're freaking gone. And you're like, why did I waste my time on this? It's hard not to feel like they broke up with you. Like, it's hard not to take it personally, you, right? You, you, for sure you do. And so, like, I remember I bought into a mortgage company once with Michael Wendland, if you know, still like the guy, but we bought this mortgage. He was in there. He convinced me to buy with the realtors that were partners. And I was doing well in my mortgage business. We were going to partner up and we're going to own this mortgage office. And we're like, oh, it's going to be great. The spreadsheet looked good. I told my wife, this is a bad idea. My wife's got very good business smart. She goes, this is a bad idea. I think this is going to be a distraction. And I don't think you should do it. And the investment at the time was 40 grand. It wasn't that much, but like, it was a lot for me at the time. So I go and I say, yeah, okay, I'm not going to do it. I go meet with Michael. I'm like, I'm doing it. So I did. I come back to my wife. I'm like, uh, I did it. She's like, you did what the flip? She didn't divorce me, thankfully. But within two months, the people that were at the office that were actually producing, they left. And I was like, what the flip? Like, this was such a hassle. And then within a year and a half, it was such a distraction. I was better off to just focus on build my own team, client care manager, processor, underwriter, figure out your marketing. Dude, you have great business. Why don't you just try to double? like double your production and add a team member or a team member and a half. I just think it's way makes way more sense. Unless you can see a clear path to 500 million in gross production, what are you doing? That is the stepping stone to a billion. So what you're really after is a billion in total volume. And you've really got to have a very clear path as to how you're going to hit a billion in a very short period of time, i.e. inside three years. Like you're just going to level up, crank up, make this thing happen and grow, grow, grow. And for all the team owners out there, for the people running, especially smaller teams, and they're not looking to grow to 500 million or a billion, thank you. And for all of you who are working for a smaller team, you need to email that broker, text that broker owner, that broker manager, managing broker, whatever you want to call them, wherever you are in the, in the country. Yeah, whatever province you're in. And say thank you because they are not doing it for the money. You might, you might think they are. Yeah, exactly. Like you might begrudge the 5, 10, 15, 20%, whatever it is of your commission that you're floating up to that broker owner. You have no idea how much time and energy that broker owner is putting into you and into the team and into trying to build something special that doesn't have to be gigantic. They're doing it out of love. They're not doing it for money. And you know what? That's an okay reason. So Chris, if, you, if it's just about the love of working with eight to 10 great people and you're willing to go through 
100 people to get to that 8 to 10 and have this great little pod and a great little working dynamic, that's cool. Like love is a reason to do something. But if it's about the money, then most big team owners will tell you, and certainly every small team owner will tell you, it ain't about the money. Like There's no money unless you get big. No, if you can close 35 million a year, 25 to 35 million a year on your own with one outsourced contract employee type thing, that is a wonderful place to be. Like that's a sweet, sweet spot. Like 25 million to 35 million, man, you're, you're in a great spot. You've got a life. You own your evenings. You can take two weeks and go on a vacation. Like it's a great spot to be. And I know an awful lot of people who exceeded 100 million and their goal next year is to cut their volume by 25% or 50%. Like they want to do less. They don't want to do the 100 million because it just overruns and consumes their life. And it's the same with teams. The teams can grow and become totally out of control. And you're no longer brokering. Like you're managing brokers. You're no longer brokering your book of business. That's history. And that's the thing. Like, are you going to replace a 25 to $35 million income running a 25, $35 million book of business? Are you going to replace that income managing a team? Not unless they're 500 million plus. Yeah. And it's a totally different kind of work. Yeah. I mean, we always say like the beauty of brokering is when you're dealing with a painful client, they're out of your life in three weeks, right? Three to five weeks, they're gone. They're maybe back in three years, <laughs> but, but you get a break from them. And when you're building a team, those people are in your life every damn day, year in and year out. <laughs> so be careful what you wish for. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. I mean, I think I've interviewed so many people that have gone down this path, successful mortgage broker, maybe they're doing 40, 50 million. They're like, hey, the next thing. And then two years later, they're almost every time they're like, that was a huge waste of time. You know, so if you're doing it for love, that's okay. That's a fair reason to do it. But please don't go into it with the expectation that somehow this is going to be how you're going to make money and not do anything because it's not the case. It's going to be a ton of work. I'm a living, breathing example, right? Like I made a heck of a lot more money closing $100 million worth a year in business with my one uh, amazing associate, Angela. That was much more lucrative than what I'm doing now because arguably I'm actually running a team. That is what I'm doing but it doesn't generate anywhere near the same income, but I actually am, you know, intrinsically motivated. But they're not paying you a million dollars a year to be there? Sadly, no. <laughs> listen, I'll call, I'll text Gary. I'll be like, listen, you got to pay Dustin a million dollars a year. He, um, I should renegotiate that contract soon, I guess. Yeah, but that's okay because, uh, you know, the line I've delivered a few times when I've been asked that question is, look, a greater income wasn't leading me to a greater life. The extra money, it's not my thing. There's a certain point where you have an income and then an extra 10, 50, 100 grand or whatever it is that shows up. Okay, it might be fast tracking your investment portfolio or fast tracking your exit strategy, but I don't have an exit strategy that involves not working. I love working. I like having my brain stimulated. Like I like interacting with people. Maybe I'll burn out on that at some point and I'll wish that I, you know, had a bigger investment portfolio, but I'm comfortable enough. It's good. And so, as I say, I'm getting my intrinsic reward interacting with other brokers, helping them through problems, helping them grow. I ran into one of our brand new brokers at a Christmas party. They started two weeks before in 2018. And they said, you know, how many files did you close in your first year? I said, 14. She said, I'm going to close 28. I said, well, why not 56? 
like, you know, just sort of ping pong back and forth. And her name's Denise Kelly. And Denise went on to close 58 files in her first year in the business. And her first year was 2019. Arguably not an easy year in this business. Of course, 2019 looks like a walk in the park compared to 2020, generally speaking. But it was an uphill battle. The market was actually very quiet in a lot of places in 2019. Things were a little bit dampened down. And 2020 was coming out of the gate strong. And then the pandemic, of course, but then it sort of got its second win and away we go. But the point I'm making there is that is someone brand new coming into the business and I get fired up from their passion. So I like interacting with that person. But there it is from the automotive lease finance business into the mortgage business. So no previous banking experience per se, no previous real estate experience per se. Absolutely, they understood credit and they understood a lot of the language from the automotive financing side, but they just flat out hustled. Mm -hmm. She's in Starbucks and she hears somebody 30 feet away say the word mortgage. She's over there. She's introducing herself and she's at, can I buy you another coffee? Can I get you a snack? Can we sit down and talk? She can upsell the, you know, the clear coat protection, whatever they put on the cars. Every mortgage gets the clear coat. Yeah, exactly. The undercoating. Undercoating protection. And every single mortgage, we put that for free. Yeah, it's totally true. That's the same thing reason why I like the training business is because honestly, I like seeing how people go from where they are and go to a new level. And you're like, this is awesome. I got a a client down in Colorado. This podcast is coming out next week. Actually, his name is Ian Lee. His first six months, he did five mortgages. And in the last six months, he's done 65. And so like, I got to be honest, this guy had drive. He had like all of these things. He was going to be successful no matter what. We helped shorten that curve a little bit for him, but it's so fun to watch what he does. And the fact that he's humble enough to say, hey, I'm going to go figure out, show me the shortcut and I'll copy it. And that's what he did. Well, we were talking about this a little bit before we flipped the on button for this conversation, right? I mean, what you're paying a coach for, what you're paying the money for any specific program that's in your niche is you're paying for someone to go out there. And like I was mentioned to you, I was looking on Goodreads and it's like 674 books later. So I've taken those 674 books and like one nine hour long audiobook, I might only get one little tidbit from that actually helps weave into the process and refines a part of the process on the opening call, the midterm call, the completion call, the follow-up call, whatever it is, and shaping your database or what do you want that to look like? And so really what you're doing, and to some extent what I do within my own brand, is we curate all of that mass data and narrow it down into like, here's some usable scripts, like the payment deferral piece. You know, I I re-recorded, I shouldn't I, mortgage payment deferral video like five times. Same link on Vimeo, but I kept uploading an updated version trying to sort that out. And of course, a lot of us initially, like Scott, when you were brokering, probably much like myself, you're like, well, doesn't everybody do it this way? You just sort of assume everyone does it this way, right? Like everyone's figuring out the whole payment deferral language. Like that's, everyone's doing that. No, they're not. So when you can deliver a piece of content to your group that is clear cut and hopefully unbiased and whatnot, your group can then take that, either rewrite it into a blog post or a newsletter of their own, re-record it as their own. Or just share it, the one that you've created, because you're not competing with them anyway. And that's ultimately what they're paying for. You know, there's this guy that I follow, Dan Sullivan. You've probably heard of him before, a strategic coach. I yep. just love this guy. Like, I listen to all of his podcasts. He's 75 or 76. He's got a plan to live to be 150, and which, you know, who knows? But he is sharp as a, like, he does not sound 75 when you listen to him. And he talks about there's two types of entrepreneurs, two types of business people. There's simplifiers and there's multipliers. 
And I think that we're both simplifiers. We like to take ideas and simplify. Like when you talk to your clients, simplify, simplify. So they go, oh, I get it. Light bulb goes on. And then there's other people who take things and they just have to blow them up. They cannot help themselves, but like, I got to get this in front of. And so are you a simplifier? Are you a multiplier? And as we simplifiers, it's fantastic, but it's good to partner with a multiplier. If you have somebody who can really help you take that business to the next level, like I can think of a guy that I work with for a while and he was a straight up multiplier. You have to just think about these things. I just think it's a great framework to think about your thinking. But I'll go back to the question. So Tyler Rollins asks, so thanks for your question, Tyler. Do you see small broker offices becoming obsolete? No, ultimately I don't because I think small broker offices to a huge extent are held together by the social glue. I mean, there's, there's small offices that it's been the same pod of four brokers, eight brokers, 12 brokers for 12 years and nothing's changing there. They're not yeah. looking to grow. They're not looking to shrink. They're just keep moving forward together. So I don't think there's going to be any specific needs. Is there going to be pressure put on us around uh, commission structures and pooling of volumes and that sort of thing? Sure, sure. Those things are always in a state of flux to some extent. But I don't think any of it's going to be, you know, the death blow for the small office. I think we'll remain a, a small, somewhat fractured industry for a few years to come yet. I mean, I've been hearing about how technology is going to eliminate 50%, 75%, 80%, all these different numbers over the years. In the next five years, X percentage of brokers will be gone. Well, I've been hearing that for more and than Y percent will replace them. The number seems pretty much static. Well, you know, you talk about the two camps of simplifier and multiplier and how it's good to have a little bit of mix of both. I am not a fan of really any sort of pessimism. I like logic and I like optimism. So that's where I draw the line. Like we can be logical. We can talk about how one plus one equals two and we can agree on that. And we can talk about how one and one maybe look like 11. Like that's cool. Okay, like I like to be optimistic, but I don't want to ever hear about how one plus one equals zero. The pessimist stuff, it's just not needed. It's hard enough in this day and age to get out of bed in the morning and put one foot in front of the other and go out in the world and go. Like, I mean, even just going out into the world is obviously a challenge now. Like, it's tough enough. And so, the one thing I really want to share, if you'll indulge me, Scott, the best thing I've done, I started it on March 12th. I think it was March 12th. And I found the block, delete, unfriend, whatever you want to call it, the unfriend block button in Facebook. And I use it in Instagram and I use it on LinkedIn. This is why you're not responding to any of my comments. You <laughs> 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 jerk. I was kidding. I tell you though, like it's the best thing because you know, you open your phone as most of us do first thing in the morning and what you see in your social media feed, that's going to set the tone. That's going to set your mindset. hundred percent. And you see some crazy thing and I'm not going to give examples because one person's crazy is another person's logical, but you see something that enrages you that like blows your mind. Like how can people be this disconnected? which if you haven't had a chance, watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix and you will understand how people can be so far removed from your point of view because our social media feeds are pumping us full of validating things that validate how we think. So it perpetuates how we think. So if you go down one slight divergent path, you wind up way over here and, and the other person's way over here because your social media feed keeps telling you that you're right to be thinking about certain things this way. Like, of course, the moon landing was faked. We all know that. And the world is flat. And the, and the flat earthers, right? And it's the same mechanism. So the thing is, the flat earther ones are kind of entertaining, so I almost want to leave those in. But when you see something in your feed that you want to comment, you want to say to this person, like, are you nuts? 
or like, how can you post this? Don't comment. Don't comment. The comment section is where intellect goes to die. I learned a long time ago, hearts and minds will not be changed in the comment section. They're not going to be, there's somebody's going to be like, you know what? You're right. Like, I wonder if that ever happened on Facebook, right? You know what? I had this viewpoint and now it's completely changed. Thank you for your insightful comments. It never, ever happens. Yeah. You've totally changed my mind on capital punishment. Like just a minor little In a a 60 second video. It's not going to happen. So delete, right? I used to use like a 30 day snooze snooze this person for 30 days. So I'd use that over and over. But then they'd pop back up with another kooky, you know, meme or whatever, like just something bad. Like Snopes, everyone on here, Snopes is your friend, all right? S-N-O-P-E-S. Snopes is one of those sort of myth-busting, like, is this real or is this fake? Like, it's a great website. They've been around for years. They're a really good one for like, did this really happen? Yeah, they don't seem to have any political agenda right? They're yeah. just like, hey, let's just look into the deep. So I, maybe they do. I don't know. But I, I, I agree with you. I like that program. But so as I like, say, I will tell you that like just clearing that social media debris out of your feed. And it's not about like taking away counterpoints or differing views or anything like that. I'm talking about the stuff that just you're really, really entrenched on the other side of the coin on this. And you're just not interested. It, it hasn't warmed you up. It hasn't made you feel good about your day. Just block them delete them, get them gone and stop having that stuff show up in your feed. I compare it to middle school. All right. When I went to middle school, I had some bullies that picked on me every single day. I was going to get turned upside down, stuffed in a garbage can, stuck in a locker. I don't believe that's possible. Remember when they get you? Dude, I was 88 pounds. Okay. Then you know what? You probably, it's probably true. (laughs) Yes. I, I was six feet tall and 88 pounds at age 14. 88. Like how did, I mean, you know, not, no, 98, I think when I was 14. Yeah but whatever, under a hundred pounds at 14 years old and six feet tall. So middle school kind of sucked a little bit for me. And the thing is I had to walk through those doors because that's the deal. You got to go to school. You got to get educated. I had to go put myself in that environment and you know, Oh, you got to learn how to deal with those people. You'll figure it out. And those people are going to be around your whole life. Here's the thing. I'm all growing up now and Facebook isn't middle school and I don't actually have to tolerate crazy people. Or people that want to attack me or pick on me. I don't have to do it. I can just be like, delete, you're done. I'm now the principal of my own little school and I can expel the students that I want to expel. Each of us has that power, but we're Canadian, so we don't use it very often. Right. We're too polite. You know, they say, there's a joke. How do you make a Canadian say sorry? So, sorry. You, no, you step on their foot. It's right. So you're standing in line, just do this. Next time you're standing, well, you can't do this anymore because it's six feet of separation. But when you weren't, if you stepped on a Canadian's foot, they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, my foot was under your foot. Like, what the flip? In America, they wouldn't do that. They'd be like, yeah, stepping on my, anyway, so I won't go down there. But we'll wrap up this call. This has been fun. We went in all kinds of different directions. It was about, the theme was, should become a mortgage broker. And we talked about lots of craziness. What's your kind of final thoughts on this topic? Like I say, for me, the theme is remain optimistic because there is nothing but opportunity out there. Figure out the total transactions in your province. In BC, the province I'm in, there's a million privately owned properties. So forget about purchases and sales. Let's say that market went to zero. So out of the amount of mortgages that are on those properties, there's still about 200,000 mortgages every year coming up for renewal or refinance or equity takeout. There's still about 200,000 opportunities per year And out of those 200,000 opportunities for a mortgage transaction every year, how many do I need to be successful? I need about 50. 
can you get 50 people out of 200,000 in your province to like you enough to work with you? I'm pretty confident you can, because we've seen some pretty unlikable individuals get a heck of a lot more than 50 people to support them out there. So I'm pretty sure each and every one of you can track down 50 people a year to support you and help you. And that's really all it takes. It's a massive, massive market. Yes, there's all kinds of big things going on. Tune all that noise out. Turn the news off. Stop looking at the news feed. Just focus on picking up your phone and interacting with other people around you. How are you, Scott? How can I help you? To me, there's another 10 years of phenomenal opportunity in this industry. I can't see out past five to 10 years, but I'm pretty confident we got another great 10 years. And 10 years of kick-ass brokering, you can set yourself up in a pretty great position. Totally. Yeah, I agree with you. So my final thought is, is that with the phone calling skill, so developing this skill of being good on the phone, it is like a superpower. If you get good at this, so let's just assume, like I, I don't think the mortgage business is going away, but if the mortgage business next week became illegal and they're like, you can't do it, no longer, mortgage brokering is not possible, you have to be a bank employee, whatever, and we all had to go find something else to do. If you had highly developed phone skills, you are set. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. There will always be something else that you can do. And so I think that as a insulation to your own future self, learn new skills, marketing sales, but in particular phone, because nobody wants to do it. Everybody's afraid of it. If you do the one thing everybody's afraid of, you'll have unlimited opportunities. And so I just feel like, yeah, that's how I'd finish this is that really you guys, you've got to get the phone thing dialed down. Okay. There's a dad joke. Dial down your phone skills. Dial. Yeah. Dial. What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, even this one doesn't have a dial on it, Scott. Come on. What the heck is that? Is that a sat phone? It's the brick, baby. It doesn't work though. That's just for fun. Circa 1992. And no, it no longer works. Okay. Well, hey man, this has been fun. We'll have to do this again sometime. We'll pick another topic and we'll just riff and go in whatever random direction that the wind blows us. Thank you guys for your comments and questions. It makes it more fun if we can interact with you and we'll be chatting with you soon. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Scott. Good to talk to you again. Hey, thanks again for checking out this episode. A couple big takeaways that I got. First, it was a reminder that the failure rate in our industry is incredibly high, especially in the first two years. And without some mentoring or a game plan, the success rate is really, really low. And it's because I think this is a very easy to understand business, but it is not simple, right? It's simple, but not easy. And so that was the first thing I took away. The second thing is that if you're a mortgage broker and you're successful and you're like, hey, I think I want to recruit some agents and have them work for me. Just be aware that unless you make that really big, you're probably don't, please don't start it for making money. I think Dustin nailed it when he said, if you do it because you love it and you want to do it, that's a fantastic reason. But unless you get to 500 plus million, you will make more money by actually focusing on just building your own team, running your own operation. So it's totally okay, but just understand what you're getting yourself into. And then the last takeaway that I got from Dustin was focus on logic and optimism. So he's very logical, but he also has a hefty degree of optimism. And I think that's really helpful. And his whole suggestion to block people that are on social media that actually are toxic or distracting, or you're just like, ah, I engage with them. If you want to eliminate that from your life, you're going to feel much better. So I thought that was a really good tactical thing that you could apply. So finally, and if you are new in the mortgage business, or you're just thinking about getting into this business, and you're like, man, Scott, I don't know where to start. We have a program called 10 Steps to 10 Million. 
We're going to give you the very exact steps that I would take if I was starting over today. If everything I've learned after being in the business for 14 years and hundreds of interviews and coaching hundreds of clients, we're going to give you the exact step-by-step plan to help you set up your business to scale so that you have a much higher success rate. So you can go to get10million.com. That's get with the number 1010million.com to check that out. And thanks again for checking out this episode.